Liz. And I'm Marie. And this is Mock It, a podcast from MetroStar, where we take a deep dive into UX design, trending design topics, and making our work transfer to government. Let's get started. Awesome. So uh, for those of you who are just joining us, this is episode eight of our podcast Mock It. And this is actually part two of how the pandemic changed digital experiences. And we are joined again by our wonderful guest, Leslie. Hello. Uh, Leslie, do you want to uh, give a brief intro before we dive in? Yeah, sure. Uh, I've been at MetroStar for two years now, and I'm a UX UI designer. And um, I have gotten to do a lot of like really cool things here, whether it be like working with government clients or actually like doing some internal work with the marketing team. So. Um, it's been like a really fun experience working here, and I'm really glad to be joining you guys today. Awesome. Thanks again for for joining us and being here. Uh, for those who uh, didn't listen to episode seven, we talked about misinformation on social media. Leslie yep. is a social media guru and then <laughs> taught us a lot about uh, different banners and flags and how UX designers and designers in general can help curb misinformation. So during this episode, we're going to dive in a little bit deeper into the nitty gritty. Uh, you gave us a great overview in our previous episode. So if you haven't checked it out, I suggest checking it out first and then yeah. going back to this episode to really dive into the nitty gritty. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Right. Do you want to keep going? Yeah. You're on a roll. Uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm really jazzed up. It's like, no, I'm, I'm stoked about this one. That's the nitty gritty. Um, okay. So first off, to, to kick it off... Um, could you tell us a little bit about what media literacy is? So media literacy is just like how people understand the internet, right? Like, so whether it be like the social medias that we're on, there's lots of different components that people come across and the way that we use them can be very easy if you've grown up with the internet or it can be extremely difficult if you haven't. So we see this a lot as UX designers, honestly, because like when we're testing products, like, you know, if people don't have much experience using technology, we see a low rate of media literacy, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I remember working with like one of my early clients here and they didn't actually know that they had a different like explorer other than Internet Explorer on their computers. And that's because nobody had ever asked them to use one. So they didn't even know that they had Chrome. And they're like, where would I even go to look for that? Yeah. So because you just pop it up and it's yeah. their, their default. And Whereas, you know, you could see like toddlers these days with a pretty broad understanding of how to open a phone. So mm -hmm. you have lots and lots of like different shades of media literacy in this world right now. And I will admit the first time I used the Mac, I did not realize where to go for the internet with Safari. I know, right? I, like, right? You know, I've, I've come a long way in the past like 15 years. But the first time I was like, wait, where do I... Where do I, I go? I feel that this would be me, though. If you asked me to get into an Android right now, I probably would be like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's so funny that you say that. Both Liz and I have Android phones. They use Mac products yeah. for work. Yeah. So. And then we have PCs as well. So. Yeah, that's how I feel about a PC. I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, it's uh, it's hard to now going from a Mac, which I I've know. been using so consistently, yeah. to a PC. I'm like, oh, I'm so slow at this. Like, so slow. Yeah. <laughs> I recently like purchased a PC because like it had like the, the screams pops off so that you yeah. can like paint on it. But like I have been like I feel like just such a toddler because, like trying to get around it because I'm like the buttons are just so different from Mac. So mm -hmm. media literacy like that ties all in. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So 
Uh, let's talk about uh, with our media literacy, what are some red flags um, on websites and social media that our users should be looking for um, to identify, right? If, if that information is trustworthy. I think that like, you know, when we're talking about like things that like probably are misinformation, I think that people should be looking at like sources, right? I wish that this was like as well known as it should be, but you know, the where we find things is extremely important. And I really wish that like people were looking at, you know, the source of where things are being posted from. And I think that it's really easy to hide those things with catchy lines, with great graphics. Um, it used to be a lot easier to like to find misinformation because things would be so poorly designed. And you have like, you know, sites like like CNN or BBC, right? Like if you post an article from there, you know, it's going to look a lot different than maybe if it was like a shoddily put together site. But you see more and more like people having good design, right? Mm -hmm. Even in places where you're getting misinformation. So I think that it is becoming more difficult for even our more like savvy users to determine if this is like, reputable or not, which is again, why I think that these like kind of like crowdsourcing of misinformation might be helpful because people can like, who understand that maybe like this site in particular does tend to post misinformation and people are continuously flagging this, right? They're flagging mm -hmm. it, flagging it, flagging it. And you see those numbers going up. Okay. Well, a lot of like my friends think that this is misinformation. Maybe I should take another look at it. So it is just, it is becoming more difficult maybe to like figure out if something is just a well-designed piece of misinformation. Production goes a long way. It does. And it's getting better even with like, I, I just got into like a cybersecurity like thought in my head. Um, but it's like, I don't know how many people know, like you can look up like, is this site legit and put in the URL. And so it's like a legitimacy score yeah. for their content is kind of what we need. I know I do. I mean, half the time I don't click on it. I'm just like, oh, this looks so good. But like, you look at the URL, I'm like, I'm not trying to get some spamware. So. <laughs> You're listening to Mock It, a design and culture podcast sponsored by MetroStar. Did you know a design system can prevent a Frankenstein UX solution or design? Learn how to avoid a bad creation on the MetroStar blog at blog.metrostar.com slash designs, systems, Frankenstein UX solutions, or click on the link in our about section. I think that's a, a great point with the uh, with the production value, and there's also the trap of uh, sound bites yeah. because things look great from sound bites from videos that come up, and like you know, there's some like some things that if that's like more something that like you would believe just as a, as a person, like you're more willing to give into that sound bite or that um, that article header or whatever, and it doesn't have to be like fake or not fake. It could just be like your particular leanings, like yes you automatically have a bias no matter what. Yeah. Uh, so I think that you brought up a great point with production goes a long way, production value and great design leads to misinformation. Yeah. What on the flip side, this, I feel like this is going yeah. to be a hard question. Yeah. I, well, I, I wouldn't be else. I don't want to put you on the spot, but on the flip side, what can designers do to help curb that? Is there something that like, 
I'm not like flag is there, but some way to be like, this is legit. Like, you know, I actually read a really great article that said that like using like different fonts is a great way to like to keep people from reading things too quickly. <laughs> um, there was so this guy's like a designer and he said like, you know, we have started like making like comment sections, like really beautiful, easy to read fonts mm-hmm. and people skim. And then they're not like deeply reading into what they're like looking at. And again, like articles, headlines, everything, super easy to read sans serif fonts. And he's like, if we use a font that maybe like is a little harder to read, people will actually be more thoughtful about what they read. And so he was kind of like suggesting that like maybe, you know, one of the ways that we can get people to to read slower, to think more about what they're reading is to maybe like start to use more interesting fonts, which has been like a really like not like we're using like five fonts right now across the internet. I mean, and they're mostly Google fonts, right? Like Roboto and stuff like that. So um, I, I loved the idea of that because I'm like, I love fancy fonts, right? <laughs> like I would love to see people use, you know, like different fonts and maybe like get people to slow down a little bit. Right, it's like the reverse of, I like from design where like you have three seconds to grab someone's attention. Yep. Kind of like the dark pattern of that we made it so easy and now now I'm kind of coming out of that to slow people down. Like you can't just be flying through the, the internet anymore and the articles or social media. Yeah, because it was like a really funny finding that they found in this article is that like when people saw like two different like memes next to each other. They remembered the one with the awful font. Everyone likes one of Comic Sans. <laughs> but people like, remember it. People remember it, yeah. <laughs> if only because it is so awful, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> really papyrus. That was my elementary school favorite one. Yeah. So just, I don't know. Something about it. So I have um, a nitty gritty question off of using these like different fonts, these like fancy fonts as you call them. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that is like a great. That, that's like sounds great. <laughs> like that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I do have to put on my like government accessibility hat for yep. one sec yep. and pose the question of this seems like a great solution that makes total sense. The research is there for it. Um, but what about five-week compliance for mm-hmm. those with um, accessibility needs or screen reader uses, yep. users? Um, how, by chance, do you know how that would play into it at all? <laughs> I think that, like, because I used to actually design in the wedding industry, and oh, cool. we did actually care a lot about readability because, like, we had to put a lot of information on a very small page, especially when it came to, like, programs, right? For, like, a Catholic wedding would be, like, 10 pages long. So... Mm-hmm you do care a lot about like, you know, your older people in the weddings being able to read that information. So, and people wanted really nice fonts because it's a wedding, right? But fonts can still be extremely readable and large and still be fancy. So I think that there is a subset of fonts that like, that kind of like come from more of that like um, event space that are really being used to make something feel you know, more interesting, more, more like designing without taking away from its readability. 
that's awesome. That's great. So I was like, oh, that's cool that you did wedding stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a kind of weird journey to UX, you know. <laughs> oh, that's cool. You could do like a whole podcast on that. Like, um, I, I do have a question that goes back to our previous episode with um, going into um, misinformation and the spread of misinformation. So one of the questions that I've been saving for this conversation with media literacy is... Um, one of the topics that you brought up was that social media sites just can't keep up with everything. Like yeah. there's just no, people are, po- I mean, I have no idea, but people are posting like literally every second of the day. Yeah. So oh, yeah. um, with that, do you have, have you read anything? Do you have any feel on sort of the responsibility of social media sites with them taking ownership of misinformation and the sharing of misinformation, especially this is a timely podcast with what's going on with Facebook and the whistleblowers, Facebook papers as they're being called now. And just that whole, you know, genre that is happening in our news. Yeah. No, I think they have a huge responsibility, especially Facebook because, and I think that like, there might be some like dog and pony show happening right now with this like name change, because it's kind of distracting away from all that kind of like controversy that's happening. But I also like, I feel badly for the people on the ground who are trying to make Facebook safe because like choices that happen on top are not up to them, you know? And it's like, they're doing the best that they can because like, I, I read a great article that they published that Facebook published recently that they're, they're putting in a system where, where when you share, you do have to answer some questions. And this is only with very, very disreputable sites. So again, I've never seen them because like, not super in the habit of like sharing stuff like that. So um, I did actually have to like read an article about it to see kind of like what their components are looking like. But they are trying to like get in the way of people before they share things. So these are some of the steps that they're taking. And they're also trying to like tag things as, you know, like we believe this site to be like misinformation. Um, And then I also recently did see a story that somebody had posted that was like a photograph with a pic with a story and the story was not actually about this particular photograph. It was stock photo and it was from like last year <laughs> that was made to look old timey. Mm-hmm. And they was literally trying to say like, this is this person from like 1904. And so they, there was an actual an accuracy check there. And so I think that like, there's a huge kind of like gap between things that happen behind closed doors in huge mega tech companies and then the steps that like everyday designers are trying to take to combat all of this. But again, it is a really, really huge undertaking and it's just gonna have to be a journey for them to try to figure out the best ways to like continuously come up with ways to help combat this. Because it's either that or like we slow the roll on how much people can share. and then that becomes a really like strange thing about like, what are our rights when we share information? Because again, like, I think that a lot of people do feel very badly about like, where's the the fine line about like, this is my right to like share this information, whether it's true or not, or like, can we stop you? You know? Because what's the difference of me saying it verbally with like, right, my freedom of speech versus yep. right, it's digital. Yeah. 
Do you have any insight on um, algorithms going to the exact yeah. point of you know? So we've we've definitely talked about it on our podcast. With, um, you know, our social media is sort of curated yeah. for like what we like to follow. Like, I follow a lot of like pet stuff. I think yeah. Yeah. funny dog videos is like my jam on Instagram. Yeah, and the people I follow on fa- are yeah on Facebook are definitely like friends and family. But I also you know, I've defriended people, I've stopped following people. There are things that I've done just because I didn't want to be exposed to certain information that I thought was harmful. I know. So do you have any insight on, um, like, the algorithms? And then, like, if if there's, like, a misinformation bubble, you're, like, you're in your sort of, you're in your bubble, but yeah. then how does it, like, leak out? Or is it just because you're in your bubble, like, you know, it just, like, fizzes up? I actually have thought a lot about this issue because like I wonder a lot am I only being exposed to things I want to be and of course you are because like you want your social media to be a pleasant experience but social media is also the way that we're mostly experiencing the world right now especially when we're at home so often so it is hard to like to know if I'm like being exposed to the to the right things in the world because like am I only seeing one side of the picture so I think that there, at some point, there is some responsibility on our, our like on ourselves as users to to kind of like seek out the other side of the story because our social media is just not going to do that. Like their job is to sell you things in the end, and your algorithm helps with that. So every time that you're liking a certain kind of thing, that leads to ad revenue, right? Because then they can suggest products within those spaces. So I don't think that you're going to find social media companies like trying to give you a big picture. They're going to keep you in the bubble you want to be in. And I think that there's a lot of danger in that because when you're in a bubble that is full of misinformation, you are never seeing the other side of the story. So I do wonder like what the responsibility of social media companies is in creating kind of like I don't know, to even like to stop people who are posting a lot of misinformation. I I did read that Facebook might start penalizing people if because every time that they're warned that they're posting misinformation, that their feeds might slow. Yeah, or it, it can even tie back to right like our media literacy when you were talking about right our feeds or what we like and stuff. Um, I know just over the last year, right, there's been some other things that have come up. I have actively gone out and diversified at least the, those influencers, yeah. what, what they look like, where they come from, right? It's still the same kind of content, but I don't need to continue to follow white, blonde interior designers that do the boho style. I can yeah. follow a mix of folks who do the boho style because really what I'm following is the style, yeah. the, the interior design. Um, so I know I've gone out and done that. Um, or like taking cookie decorating videos. Yeah. Really into watching those to relax. Um, but it, that that was like something I learned over the last year that like, oh man, like I totally was blinded by that. Didn't even pay attention. Yeah. But that it, it can impact. So I went looking out um, for folks who produce the content that I'm interested in, but don't look like me. Yeah. Um, but right, that's like a step of awareness and learning that I have. I mean, it might even be like an interesting campaign for mm-hmm. social media to take part in is to say like, 
how can I encourage you to kind of follow somebody that maybe doesn't like fall into your typical bubble? So, I mean, I think that that could be like a really cool way to maybe like to show like big users on their like platforms that that like have interesting content, but maybe you wouldn't have looked at it before. Because I know I, I follow a lot of politics, on, <laughs> a lot of politics on TikTok, but like I also follow like a lot of like, you know, fashion designers and, um, you know, people with like who do pet stuff and talk <laughs> about like wild animals. And, and I think that those those kinds of like people have like a tiny world view in it. But like, I feel like it's like something that everybody could be exposed to and enjoy. Right. But mm-hmm it falls into my algorithm because of my politics, which is so strange to me. <laughs> the pet yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> it's very unique. <laughs> but I think, I think you both bring up great points, especially with like the, the onus is on you to go out and diversify yeah. what you're following. I found that with, um, I really like YouTube videos mm-hmm. for, especially reviews. If I'm looking up like this versus that, I really like to see the comparisons that people do of the reviews that they do yeah but a lot of them like if it's a tech thing a lot of it's men who are mm-hmm. reviewing the text yep. and then if it's um if it's something like for like parenthood or motherhood or something like that it's a lot of white women and you know i i purposely like i go through i don't click like the first couple i go like, like i scroll down to be like you like like, I want a different perspective. Like, if I wanted my own perspective, like, you yeah, know. Exactly. Like, I, you know, buy it and play with it myself, you know. Yeah. So um, I think that's, that's a great point that it, yeah. that people should be taking that onus on themselves and really, like, making sure that they are diversifying what they're looking at. And then also, I think, just from, like, social impact, like, you're helping people who may not have sort of. As big a fall. As big a fall. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. To like rise them up and make sure that they're getting exposed to all sorts of different people, not just maybe what, you know, whatever platform they're using, like that algorithm yeah, is exactly. suggesting to them as their followers. Yeah. That's a really great point. Then we have um, we have one thing on here that I've, I'm a little nervous because I think of myself, <laughs> I've been on Facebook since high school. Yeah. Uh, data tracking yeah. on there. You know, I'm like, oh, they have a significant amount of data on me. And I'm sure, like, Google does as well. I mean, I've been yeah. on Google. My first Gmail is um, right out of college or like last year of college. You switched from your, yeah. you know, your college um, email. This is, at least this is what, yeah. what I did. Yeah. Saying, to but, Gmail. Yeah, to Gmail. Exactly. Yeah. So Google has everything. I have location on my phone because I like using Google Maps. Like, yeah. You know. Yeah. So with data tracking, how do you think that plays into either the algorithms or um, just in general? Like, I mean, there's just like so much. And then like, that's not even including if you have like Amazon or anything. Well, like, oh, yeah, oh. it's wild. You go on a website to like look for something else and all of a sudden an ad is on Facebook of what you just looked at. Yeah. I mean, Apple is trying to combat that right now. They're like phones because like you have to, uh, each application now has to ask for your permission to track you. So I think that like they're doing their part in the world. And like this was a huge impact on Facebook, huge impact because like they want to follow you everywhere so that they can like get all of your like advertising, everything. So it was a really big deal for, for Apple to make that choice, even for them, because like, you know, that 
that affects like how they advertise to people but it meant a lot to them in the world of privacy because we're losing so much of our privacy and i think that like as ux designers i would i would love there to be some kind of like social awareness or some kind of a campaign to kind of like teach people you know everything that you do on the internet is creating a profile on you right Mm -hmm. and it matters what kind of a profile you're creating because that's going to be used against you (laughs) i mean whether we like it or not it will be and like i think that like when we're we're talking about like you know our emails being tracked or you know when that came out like that gmail had like leaked a ton of like our information you know there was even like concerns about like does somebody knowing where I was at all times mean that like I could be pinned at the wrong place at the wrong time in a court case, you know? So like, it is a really, really important issue and like how how we like kind of build ourselves a profile on the internet is very important. And this is why misinformation comes into this whole thing in such a, a crazy way because like, I don't want myself to be attached to having shared harmful information if that then goes on to an event that becomes dangerous. So I think that, you know, there there needs to be some kind of like social media campaign to say that like, you've got to stop pressing the share button and not being aware of like how that builds a profile on you. And then maybe that puts you in the hot spot when things like an insurrection happen and they can literally find you because you've been talking about it across the entire internet well and then i wonder if it's uh, something with generations so uh you know if you're an adult you have different impacts than a child like i think of like the next generation i'm like raising children i'm like oh my gosh like do we let them have a social media profile they're gonna want one i mean it's not like you know at some point you can't prevent your kid from doing something they're gonna you know we're all kids once you find ways around your parents (laughs) yeah you know um, but it's like a huge safety thing. And then it's like, just like what you were saying, like it comes back to bite you. Yeah. So like how, like, where does that responsibility lie? Is it like a joint effort of like, you know, adults in someone's life and like social media, but then for the adults who are posting about these things that, you know, they can be pinpointed on January 6th. Yeah. You know, what's the, um, the impact there. Yeah. And so like, where does that responsibility lie? I mean, it's a very like open-ended, it is like, a very open-ended hard question. question to answer. But I, I just do think that like there's not enough like understanding of like how our actions on the internet affect you know our personal lives because it's just too easy. Like, and there is this kind of like feeling I think that like oh there's this like kind of like. I'm at home behind a computer screen and that gives me some amount of safety and it's just not true. (laughs) I think that like exposing, you know, like, you know, these profiles that like the media is creating about us is, is very important. So I would love to just kind of like, to see that be like the next wave of kind of like education about like, you know, your, your media profiles and how that leaks out into the real world. Yeah, I think education is huge on it. Um, I know we talked about it earlier, uh, Leslie. I think you brought up with the production of stuff, like yeah. right. They're pulling on like your certain feelings or like your views or however they learn about you from your profile. Um, which is funny talking with my son last night in a car ride. 
trying to explain, right, like why sometimes people make bad choices without him getting, I don't want him to have like such a blunt line about yeah. good and bad, but the like, you need to see the other side of the story that like the side of the story you're getting is someone is pulling at your emotion or something that way to get you wrapped up. Yeah. We gotta, we always talk about all these bad choices are made because people didn't breathe and think first. Yeah. So essentially what we're, and right, the breathing and thinking before you share. Yep. Um, but right, it's like just education about take a breath. Yeah. And learn more. Yeah. I remember when I was in college and Facebook was not a, definitely not as big as it is now, but it was, yeah. it was big. I mean, we were all in college just yeah. like around at the same yeah. time. Yeah, and yeah, so. Gmail. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. That's right. right? <laughs> and like one of the best things about the first week of school or orientation week. Like, yeah. oh, well, here's my email. What's my college email? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And I think, um, like, I like distinctly remember I was on the volleyball team at my college and my coach was like, I don't know what sparked this conversation if she was just being a coach <laughs> or if, like, someone posted something that was like not so good but it was um like if your parents saw your facebook what would they like what would they think yeah so that was like something i was like oh because like my parents are always like you know like kind of what you're saying like be careful what you post like that was like something that like like we openly talked about but to like have your coach who like talking to this like young group of college women yeah being like really like be careful what you post like for safety reasons of like you know back then like you really couldn't post much except for like life updates and like um sort of like location updates with like you know i'm in like xyz hall studying for like biochem or whatever that was not me but like you know so people could track you very easily so it's uh it's interesting how it's just like they really kind of like what you were saying earlier the purpose of social media back then had very different uses and limited uses yeah. whereas now like people you know it's, there is it, no end to it yeah exactly. <laughs> there's no end to what you can do on the internet because now you know that the, the metaverse about to happen and like we're going to be like living in this kind of like virtual reality and have mm-hmm. virtual hangouts and stuff so there might just be in like an all virtual like universe you know <laughs> That's true, especially with um, like new ways to have meet, like virtual meetings. We've mm-hmm. seen a lot of different things of collaboration on yeah. um, different like because working from home is going to be part of life now. Yeah. So ways to make that um, the water cooler talk. Yeah, exactly. So to sort of wrap up, um, do you have any tips for users, um, internet users, social media users, media liter- people who want to learn about, more about media literacy about um, choosing reliable sources, doing anything to make them safer online? I always just tell people like one little goog is all it takes to like figure out if a source is reliable or not. And I think that like it takes one second to just like to do that little bit of research, but you're going to be like glad that you did because it just makes you a more like educated user of media. And I always encourage people to do it because like um, I, have like I said like all of these people that I love to follow on TikTok that talk about a lot of like complex political issues but if you're just taking like everything that they say like at face value then you're not doing your job so I'm you know going and like reading articles or just maybe watching a YouTube video to follow up with it so that like if it's a topic that I'm interested in then I want to make sure that like 
I've read more than one thing or watched more right. than one video. <laughs> I'm not just watching something that from like a person who's not like a researcher or a professor or a doctor, but like, you know, one more reputable source, right? And it just makes you like a better rounded person. It makes like the, the things that you care about that much more interesting. Yeah, that's a great tip. Awesome. So uh, first off, I want we want to thank you for, yes. for, for being here <laughs> yeah. for our second um, episode with you about digital literacy, yeah. uh, your wealth of knowledge. <laughs> and um, I'll just put a little plug in for those that have been saying these are complex issues that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. So definitely reach out to us if you have any questions. We have such a better experts um, here at MetroStar that can definitely uh, dig in and dive in and keep up with, yeah. with your questions. So, uh, all right, awesome. So this is Mocket. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends and join us next time. As always, if you're interested in learning more about how government and tech collide, visit MetroStar.com and follow us on socials. Thanks, Leslie. Thank you.